Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way the persecuted prophets who were, were before you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word, and make it be for us the word of life that we might be people of life. Now, O oh God, hide me behind your cross that your message of love and grace might shine through for the redemption of the world through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Twenty years ago, I said something at an Easter worship service that uh, I have, well, I have regretted deeply, and a pastor should never, ever, ever say on Easter Sunday. It was, it was my third Easter being a pastor, and over the previous few years, I had, I had become in, increasingly frustrated with people who attended church only on Easter and at Christmas. I just couldn't, couldn't wrap my head around someone who, who would only attend church once or twice a year. So I made the offensive mistake of saying, well, it's, this is how I opened the worship. I said, well, it's, it's good to see you. It's good to see you again. Uh, boys, some of you have put on some weight since the last time I saw you. <laughs> it, it, was my, it was my passive-aggressive way of, of shaming people for not attending since last, last year. And so I've been thinking about that uh, this past week. I remember last Easter. I remember last Easter, and it was a very difficult Easter last year. There were five of us here in the sanctuary. Many of you were watching from home. We had, we had been assured when we closed down uh, because of the pandemic, we had been assured by some of our denominational leaders, even here in Oklahoma, they said, oh, just, it's going to be just for a few weeks. We will be open back up on Easter, and we'll be able to have a, a grand, grand celebration on Easter. Well, now 55 or 56 weeks later, we find ourselves having having a grand celebration. We were in the throes, if you remember right. We, a year ago, we were in the throes of, of watching the Tiger King. Do you remember that? We were reeling from not having an NCAA basketball tournament. We were, well, we were without the NBA as well. But more so, Easter, again, was basically canceled. We were, we were not allowed to have in-person worship because the pandemic was raging across the world. But this year is different. And so I say with all sincerity and without malice or shame, well, it's good to see you again. Boys, some of you have put on some weight since last year. But, but seriously, this has been, it's been an incredible blessing to see, to see you in person for the first time in the last year. Wow. All those years ago of making that rookie mistake, of passively aggressing, chastising people for not attending worship, I was really, what I was really trying to do was to wrap my head around civil religion. Civil religion comes from the days when it was believed that all respectable citizens attend church. 
It's the, it's the kind of religion that says that, that church is the, is the place to, to see and to be seen. Church is the place to make business connections. Church is the place to get a, a little religion, but, but not too much. Oftentimes, we as Christians believe that we have succeeded if we, if we just fit into culture. If we will just make religion palatable, make our faith blend in, then we'll, we'll kind of disappear into the, into the culture. We, so, so there are churches that they take out the cross and they, and they take out any mention of hell and they take out any moral demands. They make it spiritual, but not religious. I heard recently about a boy who was going off to wheat harvest. His, he had been raised in a very, very faithful Christian home, and uh, he got to the age, this is a number of years ago, he got to the age of 15, and his, uh, his parents needed some extra income, and so they decided that a wheat harvest would be good for him to, to go off onto wheat harvest, and so they, they sent him off onto a harvest crew, and, and his mother warned him and said, now son, we have been very faithful Christians, and, and we have raised you right, and we have, we have we've, we've raised you to make sure that you say your prayers and, and read your Bible daily, and, and to lead the kind of life that we know that you are called to leave. Now, now when you're on this harvest crew, these are going to be, this is going to be a rough and rowdy crowd that you are a part of. Make sure, make sure that you are not, that you are not persecuted too much for being a faithful, faithful Christian. And so his mother and father wondered about him all summer long. They prayed diligently for him all summer long. Again, it was back before any kind of technology, and they were not able to connect with him throughout the summer. And finally, at the end of that summer, he was able to finally come back home after, after wheat harvest. And his mom and dad were, were so anxious to hear had he, how, how he had endured such persecution and such teasing and so and so they asked him son how were you how were you able to withstand all of the all of the persecution and 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 teasing that you received from being from being such a faithful christian and the young boys his eyes brightened and he told and he said well mom they they never found out (laughs) they never found out i was a christian god help us Our guests this morning likely have not heard the sermons that we have been, or the the sermon series up to now. And so I I just want to catch you up very briefly on kind of where we are. Over the last six weeks, we have been preaching about the Sermon on the Mount, really the first words of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' largest collection of, of teachings that we find in the Scripture. Um, many believe, as do I, this was really one sermon. And in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus turned everything upside down. He turned everything upside down. He told his, he first began to, to teach about uh, loving others and forgiving others. He, he first began, he first began to things, say things, say things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, that's not what they understood at all. They believed that those who were blessed by God were those who were, who were prideful and they were religious. That's who was blessed by God. But Jesus turned everything upside down with these beatitudes. And we have seen where these beatitudes really build upon one another. 
And so we have seen, we have seen that uh, as, as Jesus blessed the peacemakers, we must realize that we can't be peacemakers until we are pure in heart. And we can't be pure in heart until we are merciful. And we can't be merciful until we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we will never hunger and thirst for righteousness until we are meek. And we will not be meek until we are mournful over our sins. And we will not be mournful over our sins until we recognize that we are poor in spirit. And these beatitudes simply build upon one another. And again, these are, these are not necessarily moral imperatives. Jesus did not teach his disciples and those in the crowd. He did not say, be poor in spirit. No, he was just simply a statement of fact. In God's kingdom, those who are poor in spirit, those uh, those who are, those who are thung, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers, these are the kinds of people who are blessed. It's very, very different than what our culture teaches us. Our culture teaches us that the rich and the powerful and, and those who are striving after the things of this world, those with the most stuff, well, those are the folks that are blessed. But that's not what Jesus taught at all. And then, and then he comes to this final beatitude, and it makes no sense whatsoever. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Now, Jesus, no doubt, no doubt he knew what persecution was. Just last Sunday. Just last Sunday, we on Palm Sunday, we, we remembered when, they, when, when, the, when the people, they tried, to, they tried to make him their king. They tried to make him a, a symbol of national pride and a movement to overthrow the Romans. They hailed him as their king. On Sunday morning, they were setting him up as the next king of the Jews. And by Friday... When asked, they said, oh, we have no king but Caesar. On Sunday, they were proclaiming him as their king. And by Friday, they were being asked, what then should I do with this one you call Jesus of Nazareth? And they shouted out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus was betrayed and arrested and tried by people of his own faith and found guilty and he was beaten, he was sentenced, and he was crucified. Oh, to say that Jesus knew, cruci- or that Jesus knew persecution would be an understatement, but Jesus also knew that his followers would, would experience persecution as well. By the year 313, Less than 300 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, scholars say that there were over 100,000 people who were martyred for their Christian faith. That was until, the, until Constantine became emperor. He became emperor in the year 312. Many believe that Constantine... Uh, they're not really sure whether he really had a, a, a Christian conversion or not. Many believe that Constantine became a Christian. He was converted to Christianity because Christianity had become such a force. Up until that point, they were killing tens of thousands of Christians every single year. And the church continued to grow. 
It continued to grow and became such a force. The persecuted church became such a force that the Roman emperor had no choice but to become a Christian for political reasons. The persecuted church is the growing church. The persecuted Christian is the growing Christian. Jesus knew his followers would be persecuted. But dare I say that we, very few of us, if ever, are experiencing persecution because of our faith. Now, don't get me wrong. We get, over, we get, we get, uh, we get out of sorts when someone says, Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas. Dear sisters and brothers, that's not persecution. I'm sorry. Persecution is what 100 million people experienced in the 20th century by death. There were 100 million Christians who died who were martyred in the 20th century. It's persecution. Our church, the modern American church, is not facing persecution of any time, of, of any kind. And, and when the church isn't facing persecution, and when we are not facing persecution, that means one of two things. One, it means that the world has been converted to Christianity. Praise the Lord. Or second, or two, it means that we have watered down the gospel to such a degree that it has become palatable to our culture. So what's the response to Jesus of Jesus to such suffering and persecution and opposition and belittling and conflict? What does he say? Rejoice and be glad. This is where it makes no sense to me whatsoever. I mean, I, I rejoice and I'm glad when I come and sit in a comfortable pew. I rejoice and, I, and I'm glad when I drive to church in my climate-controlled automobile. I rejoice and I'm glad whenever it is easy as can be to attend worship. I can attend worship whether I'm at the lake whether I have to drive all the way downtown, whether I'm sitting in my living room at home, I can have church wherever I want to because it's just on demand. But Jesus says, when you experience persecution for righteousness sake, rejoice and be glad. Well, I, I see two possibilities why he might say this. It's either because this is a talk of an, of an insensitive, immature, ivory tower theologian who has never known what it was to scream with pain, or this is the talk of one who has seen and tasted something and knows something about a reality that most people have never tasted or never glimpsed. This is the Lord speaking. This, this is not some pastoral novice who, who blunders into a funeral home, slapping people on the back and say, well, praise God anyhow. No, this is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says to his disciples, most of whom will drink will drink from the cup of martyrdom. Rejoice and be glad when you are persecuted, when you suffer. How can he say this? He can say this because of the resurrection. When we don't believe in the resurrection, 
When the resurrection is not a reality in our life, oh, we will fade into the background. We will water down the gospel to make it as palatable as it can be to our culture. And I'm I'm here to tell you, dear sisters and brothers, that that is a dead faith. It's an absolute dead faith. Jesus can say, rejoice and be glad in the, face, in, the, in the face of persecution because he knows beyond any of a shadow of doubt that the reward of heaven will more than compensate for any suffering that we must endure for the service of Jesus Christ. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. There is a mystery here. The mystery of of joy in the midst of agony. The mystery of gladness in the midst of misery and groaning. And this is the mystery contained in a miracle. Namely, the, the mystery of faith. Have you ever known someone that was going through a, a, a difficult and painful and mournful period in their lives, yet they were still rejoicing? There was something within them that, that caused them to be people of joy in spite of what was going on in their lives. I'm looking around this room and I, so, and I see so many of you that I would say the very same thing about you. In the midst of pain, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of death, in the, in the, in the midst of a pandemic, you carried yourselves with incredible hope, you carried yourselves with incredible joy, and that was because you understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's a reality in your life. To the, to the degree that you believe what Jesus experienced in resurrection, to that degree, you will be able to rejoice and be glad in suffering. There's no other way. There's absolutely no other way to explain Peter. And there's no other way to explain Mary Magdalene. And there's no other way to explain uh, John or the Apostle Paul or to, or, 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 or to explain you or me. There is no other way to explain how a kid from Leedy, Oklahoma could be changed the way that I have been changed in my life. Without Jesus Christ, I am as lost as lost can be. But with Jesus Christ, now I have hope. And it doesn't matter now that we had five people in worship, in-person worship last Easter. It was Easter. And it doesn't matter how difficult this last year has been. It doesn't matter because, because there is resurrection and it doesn't, it doesn't matter how difficult this transition between me and, uh, I'll, I'll just be honest, how, how I have no idea how I'm going to get through the next three months of saying goodbye to this beloved church. I have no idea how, but what I do know is that I have hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when I do, I know that everything's going to be all right. Amen. To the degree... To the degree that, that you believe in resurrection, you will be able to seek God's ultimate, seek and follow God's ultimate will on your life like Jesus did in the garden. To, to, the, to, the, to, the, 
to the degree that you believe in the resurrection, you will be able to, uh, you, you will be able to pray for your enemies as Jesus did on the cross. To the degree that you believe in the resurrection, you will be able to forgive your enemies as Jesus Christ did on the cross. To the degree that you believe in the resurrection, you will be able to, give, to be self-giving rather than self-serving as Jesus was. To the degree that you believe in the resurrection, you will be able to know that the last day or the worst day is never the last day, that death never has the last word, that hope will never be defeated, that darkness will never overtake light, that sin will be defeated, that grace is bigger than our sin. It all hinges on the resurrection, every bit of it. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, oh, we are to be pitied more than anyone else. We've just been wasting our time. Been wasting our time. But Christ has been raised. Hallelujah. And it changes everything. In the midst of persecution, oh, oh, we can rejoice and be glad. While having a poor spirit, oh, we can be blessed. When we show mercy, oh, no doubt, God will place his rich blessings upon us. The resurrection changes everything. I believe it with my whole heart. I believe it with my whole life. In fact, I have staked my life upon it. My livelihood, my future, everything I am and everything that I do is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's changed absolutely everything for me and for you. So now we can be people of hope. So now in the, hopefully, the end of a pandemic We can continue to be people of joy. We can continue to reach out in grace and love into this world. Be people of hope. Be people of forgiveness. Be people of life. Would you bow with me, please? Lord, we need life. Now more than ever. As we think about reopening back up our lives, many of us are trying to determine, so what are we going to cut out? Many have said that they're going to cut out faith. We've been without church for a whole year. We really need it. Oh Lord, help us to know today that we don't need church but we need one another to be reminded of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to be reminded of the hope that we have in Christ our Lord. Oh Lord, help us to put our hope and trust in you, ultimately in you and you alone. And Lord, even in the face of persecution, even in the face of pain, even in the face of despair, O oh Lord, give us resurrection hope.
that we might be people of life and grace and salvation. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.